6. Last week we looked at the cause for anxiety. I hope it didn't cause you too much anxiety having to wait till this week to find the cure for anxiety. Uh, but we're looking at verses 25 down to verse 34. Uh, the cure for anxiety, and anxiety is cured when you pursue God. So let's look at verse 25. Let's read down to verse 34, first of all. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, uh, nor yet for your, for your body, uh, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, uh, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto, your, unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in, into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now last week, uh, as we said, we looked at the cause of anxiety, pursuing anything but God or anything and God, having your loyalties divided essentially between God and yourself. Uh, anxiety has a cure and it's not you. Okay. Uh, divided loyalties cause anxiety. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So the cure for anxiety is a complete, unified, whole pursuit of God's kingdom. Now, verse 25 we saw said, therefore, it's because of what was previously said. Uh, remember, we covered several things last week. Because your only secure treasure is what you lay up in heaven and not what you spend your life chasing on earth. Because you cannot look or hold to more than one body of truth at a time. Because you can only serve and please one master. Because of these things, take no thought. Now, now look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Now what does take no thought mean? Well, first of all, what it does not mean is don't plan ahead. It does not mean that. That would violate other passages of scripture. Why would we be told to, to consider the ant and to work hard and to lay up for winter and consider the cost before building a tower if we're not supposed to plan ahead and be good stewards, okay? This is uh, it's foolish, all right? It contradicts scripture. What take no thought means, if you want to look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. 
But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Right? The take no thought and the be careful for nothing are exactly the same. Right? They mean exactly the same thing. So take no thought means be careful for nothing. It doesn't mean, oh, I don't have to worry about you know, going to work because God's going to provide what I need. Now, sorry, that contradicts scripture. Uh, just like saying, I don't have to study the Bible and learn what it says because when I need the words, God will just magically pour them into my head. No, that violates scripture also. All right. The Greek word translated take no thought or be careful for nothing literally means to be drawn in different directions. Anxiety pulls us apart. Or we could say we are pulled apart when, when, when or, or being pulled apart causes us anxiety. It is that anxious concern, that, that oppressive attention to money and things it comes from an unbelieving doubt and misgivings, and, and, and that's the thought that we are not to have. The, the thoughts forbidden, one commentary says, is the faithless, disquieting, tormenting thought, the distrustful, unbelieving thought. See, this is, this is worry that comes from not trusting God, thinking that you have to do his job of meeting your needs or wanting to do his job for him because you don't like the job that he's doing for you. See, Jesus did not want his disciples divided or, or, or pulled in pieces in their minds and hearts with all the cares of the world. He, he doesn't want that for us either. He doesn't want us in that kind of torment. This is a present imperative with a negative. What does that mean? It means it's a command, right? Do not have this habit of worrying. Uh, do not have this habit of, 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 of being consumed with this cantankerous worry or anxiety about food and clothing and everything else. See, the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7, which passeth all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds uh, through Christ Jesus. That, that peace of God is going to guard both our feelings and our thoughts from this undue agitation. What it's going to create when we trust God is, is kind of a holy calm in our life. If we're trusting him to keep the promises that he's made to us, then there's not going to be this anxiety and turmoil. Because anxiety exposes your division. Anxiety exposes your lack of faith in your God. Care or anxiety distracts you from the Lord and it divides you from the Lord. This is an encouragement for us to trust God for food and clothes so that we can relieve ourselves from all this oppressive care of this, of this worry about what's going to happen next. God has given us life and given us our body. It was an act of his power. It was an act of his favor. It was done without our input. No energies of ours were required. And if he can do all of that, 
What can he not do for us? I mean, if he did all of that, what will he not do for us? Those of us without an abundance of wealth, which I think is all of us in here, we, we might fall victim to, to this faithless worry or, or being anxious about our daily needs. Matthew Henry says, The daintiest food and the finest raiment are from the earth, but life is from the breath of God. So to free us from these these anxious thoughts and to and to expel them from our thinking Jesus suggests to us some comforting thoughts because Jesus never takes something away but that he doesn't add something in its place remember nation uh, nature of hordes of vacuum okay so so if, if the sin leaves then something has to replace it some good activity from God has to replace that he wants these these anxious thoughts replaced with thoughts of our Father's commitment to provide what we need. So instead of worrying about how, how am I going to be taken care of, you, you expel those thoughts by the power of God and you replace it with the Father's commitment to you. He wants us to be filled with these kind of thoughts. See, our, our life is a greater blessing than our livelihood. Now, it's, it's, it's true that we can't, you know, life can't survive without livelihood, but, but food and clothing, those are inferior to, to life and, and to the body. Look at verse 26. Now, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He says, behold, the creation that God takes care of. And behold means to notice, to look at, to consider, uh, to, to ponder. Notice how your heavenly Father takes care of seemingly unimportant aspects of creation. See, not a sparrow or a robin will land on the ground to pick up a seed or a worm, but that the providence of God did not actively work to bring those two together. He does this with the smallest of his critters. But what we really have to take note of is that they are provided for without any concern or work on their part. I mean, can't you see the futility of, of self-focus and, and self-priority? I mean, the heirs of heaven are better than the fowls of heaven. That's what scripture says. Human beings are the crown of creation. You add into that trusting Jesus as our Savior, being a joint heir with Christ, then we are more nobler, we are more dearer to God than these birds are. The argument here is from the greater to the less. But notice, notice the detail. Right? The, the animals in creation, they, they are void of reason. They are incapable of sowing and reaping and storing. But your heavenly Father works to help them not perish, right? He sustains them without them doing any of that. Will he see then his own children using all the means that our reason provides for us 
procuring these things needful for us? Is he going to see us looking up to heaven for these things? And is he going to let us starve? Really? No. He that feeds the birds, birds surely will not starve his babes. The birds trust your heavenly father. The birds trust his providence, and it's up to us to trust that. Another commentary says in, in independence upon that, they are careless for the morrow, and being so, they live in the merriest lives of all creatures. They sing among the branches, and so to the best of their power, they praise their creator. If we were by faith, as unconcerned about the morrow as they are, we should sing as cheerfully as they do. For it is worldly care that mars our mirth and damps our joy and silences our praise as much as anything. We have seen in verses 25 and 26 that we should pursue God because of his commitment to us. Look at verses 27 to 30. We see that we should pursue God because of our inability to take his place in our life. Verse 27 says, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? See, anxiety changes nothing. Which of you... How, uh, I think this is Matthew Henry that says this. Which of you, however anxiously you vex yourselves about it, can add so much as a step to the length of life's journey? See, some scholars think that this is adding to your height. Some think that this is adding you know, time onto the end of your life. Whichever it is, it ain't going to happen just by you worrying about it. As a matter of fact, there isn't anything you can do at all ever to change either your stature or to prolong your days on this earth beyond the bounds and the scope that God has already set. Anxiety is it's not the kind of energy that ever produces <laughs> anything useful. Anxiety changes nothing. It, it, it does harm, but it does not do good. Look at verse 28. And why take ye thought? Have you noticed how many times so far Jesus has said this? He said it in verse 25 and verse 27, again in verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Again, anxiety meets no needs. They toil not. This is, this is men's work. It's planting and preparing fields. Neither do they spin. That's, that's, that's women's work. That's toiling and spinning. It was called man's work and woman's work. And, and, and Jesus uh, notices here, and he purposely includes women as the recipients of both his teaching and the recipients of the kingdom. So that, that's something a Pharisee would never do. And once again, we see Jesus rightly and properly raising the status of women by, by calling this work out. Christianity, remember, Christianity done right will never oppress women. He says, look upon the lilies. Consider how frail they are. Consider how free from care they are. 
I mean, they don't, they don't work. They don't toil like men do to earn clothing and food. They don't work like servants do to try to please their master. They don't spin like the women do, making clothing. No, it, 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 it doesn't make sense that, that we should neglect our normal daily duties, though. We do have responsibilities. We're not flowers, all right? We do have responsibilities. Those responsibilities must be carried out. But as it says in Proverbs 31, it's the praise of a virtuous woman that she lays her hand to the spindle, makes fine linen, and sells it. Uh, men need to go to work. They have jobs to do. They need to do that. But a commentary says idleness, okay, just sitting around doing nothing, idleness tempts God instead of trusting him. But he that provides for inferior creatures without their labor will much more provide for us by blessing our labor, which he has made our duty. See, we were created, male and female, we're created in the image of God, we're created for meaningful work, and work we must. And God will bless our work. Look at verse 29. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Even with virtually unlimited resources we cannot be made to look more beautiful than the objects of creation and some people try really hard some of us might need to try a little harder but the point is this if God provides for the temporary will he not also then provide for us who are eternal you look at verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Scripture says that all flesh is grass. The grave is the oven to which we will all be cast if we are not raptured first. So if he clothed these short-lived plants... How much more will he clothe you who are made immortal? How much more will he clothe you and feed you who bear the witness of his son, Jesus Christ? You see the absurdity of anxiety over things that your father has already promised to provide for you? See, the Pharisees, in their pursuit of material things, had never learned to live by faith. Pursuing our own needs not only creates in us anxiety, but it also shows that we have little faith in God to meet those needs. I don't really trust God to do this, so I'd better take matters into my own hands, right? And this, O ye of little faith, it's an expression that's used four times in Matthew. It's used one time in the book of Luke. It's, 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 it's an encouragement to grow in faith. It's a gentle reprimand. He's not scolding them here. He says, oh, ye of little faith. It's not, oh, ye of little faith. No, it's like, oh, come on. Oh, ye of little faith. He knows their faith is still small. He knows their faith is still developing. It's more of a term of endearment. We can read the expression, oh, little faith ones. It's his way of gently reproving this spirit of unbelief that, I mean, face it, it is so natural 
even in the best, strongest, oldest believers, there's this, this, this thought of unbelief. One commentary says, sound believers shall be provided for even though they are not strong believers. See, it's not necessarily the strength of your faith. Okay, you, you, you need to get this. It's not necessarily the strength of your faith, but the strength of who your faith is in. If we had more faith, we should have less care. The next thing we see, number three, verse 31 and 32. You pursue God because he knows your needs. Verse 31 says, therefore take no thought. There it is again, take no thought saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? See, again, anxiety provides nothing. Worrying over this provides nothing. And again, Jesus tells us not to pull ourselves apart over things that he has already promised to take care of. He knows. Listen, he knows what anxiety does to us. He knows what worry does to us, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like what it does to you. He doesn't like the way it affects your relationship with him. He doesn't want you to suffer from it, and faith in him is your only remedy. Look at verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth uh, that ye have need of all these things. See, anxiety over these kind of things, anxiety over where's the next meal going to come from, uh, how am I going to you know, clothe myself or my kids, how, you know, all of this stuff. Those are pagan sins. It's unbecoming of a Christian. See, the Gentiles, they, they, they feared and they worshipped their idols, but they didn't know how to trust those idols for their deliverance, for the supply of what they needed. And, and because of this, I mean, they were full of anxiety and worry. Where's the next meal going to come from? How am I going to pay my bills? What if my kid gets sick? What if my car breaks down? My neighbor has a newer boat than mine. I mean, all the things that cause, you guys are laughing, but I mean, people worry about that. They worry about what people are going to think of them because of what they have or don't have. And that's not to be in our life. See, knowing nothing definite past this present life, all their energies and all their aspirations are engaged in the attention of just things of this life. Gentile. The lost folks we know, they, they, they naturally pursue their, their, their present objects as their chief concern, and they think that's the best use of their time. They're seeking the best they know. It's all they know. We know better, don't we? We're supposed to know better. We are to search for God as the Gentiles search for their needs. We're to search for God because he promises that we will then have both. I mean, why should we 
worry ourselves over the burden and cares of this life? Why don't we cast these worries and anxieties on the Lord? He, he cares for us, right? First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. One commentary says, what needs all this ado? If he care, why should we? Why should we, we be anxious over things that he has promised to provide us? Look at verse 33. This is the fourth thing. You pursue God because he will meet your needs. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The kingdom of God is the primary subject for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching the coming of the kingdom. He verified its authority by the miracles that, that he did. He is telling us what it means and what it looks like for us to be kingdom people. There's one great duty required of all those who are or all those who would be kingdom people. And that is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But notice that the order Jesus puts this in. Seek first the kingdom of God. First you seek the kingdom of God. We must seek the things of Christ more than anything else. We must seek the things of Christ more than any other cares in this life. And see, Christ's righteousness is the way of life which results from the decision to seek first the kingdom of God. Christ's righteousness is the byproduct of, 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 of being in the kingdom, but it's also the prerequisite for entering the kingdom. And the Pharisees got it wrong. They thought they were covered because of their external righteousness, all that self-righteousness, all that showing off. But they missed the point. They miss the relationship that, 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 that they miss the relationship that the righteousness of Christ brings. The seeking of the kingdom of God first is the seeking of the kingdom of God before and above everything else. And when it says at the end of verse 33, that all these things shall be added unto you. All those things are what's listed in verse 32. The things we need for this life will be provided by our Heavenly Father, the King of the kingdom that we are to seek first. And these are, I mean, how gracious a promise. How, how precious a promise is this. You will have what you seek. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So if you do that, you will, you will find the kingdom of God, and you will have his righteousness. And besides that, you'll have the food and clothes and daily things that you need. You will have all that you require if you do it God's way in God's order. So why be anxious? Why worry about this? See, faith in God to meet our needs frees us to, to, to pursue God with the energy and to pursue God with the focus that we would have spent chasing all of these needs 
He's removed all your excuses for wasting time pursuing other things. You have no good reason now not to pursue the kingdom of God with complete abandon because he has promised if you do that, your needs are going to be met. All the things you're worrying about and all the things you're using as an excuse not to seek the kingdom of God, if they're not sin, of course, they'll be taken care of. He'll meet those needs if you just seek him first. Then we get to verse 34. Pursue God because in doing so, he will continue to provide. And again, Jesus says, take therefore no thought. Be anxious for none of this stuff, he says, for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Once again, for the fifth time, Jesus has said, take no thought. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. He doesn't want his disciples to be their own tormentors. He doesn't want his own disciples to make their own lives more dark and unpleasant by them worrying about what what hasn't happened yet. I mean, anxiety over tomorrow, it's, 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 it's needless. I mean, I mean, every day brings its own cares, right? I mean, why do you want to borrow from tomorrow? I mean, if, if you're going to worry, at least just worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow also. It's not even here yet. You can't do anything about it. See, this is the last resort of, of, of the anxious soul. The, it's the last resort of the, of the chronic worrier, the person who isn't happy unless they're worried or anxious about something. Right? They're just not happy unless they've got you know, to they be worried to be happy, right? Because then when all the fears are dispelled and all the reasons for anxiety today are gone, the only place they have to look for something to worry about or be anxious over is tomorrow. And the meaning is this. Just, just mind your stuff today. Right? Just, just be focused on today and leave the other things to God. Do the work of today while it is today because tomorrow is going to bring its own work and you can take care of it then. It's, it's senseless to add tomorrow's cares to today's cares. And what this shows us is that anxiety uh, robs joy from your future. How can you be looking forward to what God's going to do tomorrow if you're anxious or worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? It robs joy from your future. And this is not what Jesus wants for his kingdom people. It's not what he wants for his kids. It reflects poorly on our king. It is unbecoming of us to blaspheme him by not trusting him. Anxiety about tomorrow is the sin that says this. My future cannot be trusted to my God. It says my future is not secure in my God. Now, while we would never admit that, we would never say that out loud, That is the sin we commit when we worry about tomorrow. Let's see if we can wrap this up. Kingdom people trust their king. The main issue is this, really. Do you trust God to take care of you, or do you not? 
There's three words in this section that point the way to our cure for anxiety. We see it in verse 30, and, and the word is faith. It's, it's trusting God to meet our needs. In verse 32, we see the father knowing that he cares for his children. And then in verse 33, we see the word first, putting God's will first in our lives so that he will be glorified. If we have faith in our father and put him first, he will meet our needs. He will remove all the reasons for anxiety and worry that we try to heap to ourselves. Because the father knows our needs. And if we put him first, he'll meet every single one. Now, these are needs promised to be met, not, not wants. But let's be honest. God usually takes care of most of those too, doesn't he? There's no promise for that. But he just loves us enough that... Like a parent that just wants their kids to know how much they're loved and he heaps upon us blessing after blessing after blessing and he does not want us torn apart by worry and anxiety now how do we how do we do this how do we practice Matthew 6:33 well let's start with our time we have to put god first every day this means time for prayer, time for reading his word, uh, you know, putting him first, spending time with him first every day. Then we'll put God first in every week. That means attending the house of God, attending church uh, faithfully where, where you worship him and you learn of him and you fellowship with his kids. So you put God first every day. You put God first every week. You put God first every payday. Uh, you, you pay the tithe that we owe the Lord instead of using his money to try to buy what we think we need. He's already promised to meet those needs, so if it's his, give it to him. We put God first in our day. We put God first in our week. We put God first in our payday. We put God first in our choices. Make no decision that would leave God out. Make no decision that would dishonor God. Make no decision that would bring reproach upon his name. Remember Lot, um, Abraham's nephew. He uh, kind of left God out of his decision about where to live, and he ended up in, in a dark cave practicing a terrible sin. He did not put God first in his decision uh, as you know, looking for a place to live and, and raise his family. So whatever decision you make, make sure that the consequences or the results, as best as you can tell, do not bring reproach to God. We must seek him first. And then all the cares and all the consequences of anxiety will fall away. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want us, again, to be the causers of our own problems. Jesus loves you, and he wants you free. From, from, from the burden, from, from the anxiety. I mean, have, I mean, he's asking you, please, just set that down. I mean, haven't you carried it long enough? Isn't it getting unbearably hard to carry? You weren't even meant to be lugging this stuff around. 
Your shoulders aren't big enough. They're not strong enough for you to carry the worry of how you're going to be provided for when God has already promised that he will do this. So trust the Lord. Lay that anxiety, that sin aside. Seek him first, and you will have everything you need. But the promise is conditional. You seek God first, and you'll be provided for. You press into Jesus first, and you'll be provided for. You were never designed. You realize we were never designed for sin. Adam and Eve were created perfect. Had they not fallen, there's every indication in Scripture they would still be alive today. Sin has destroyed us. Why would we want to heap more sin, more anxiety, more worry when all we need to do is press into our God? And he says, I will meet every need that you are anxious over. I will supply every need that causes you worry if you'll lay it down and seek me first. You stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we want to come to you And Father, confess that, that, that we are a worrying people. We are an anxious people. Lord, once again, we acknowledge that, that sin in general and our own sin specifically has just ravaged us. And it has made us untrusting. It creates in us weak faith. But Father, you know our frame. You know that we are but dust. And we know because your word says so that your grace is sufficient. And that by faith in Christ, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit empowers us to move beyond our sin and beyond our flesh and to live in a way that pleases you. And Father, that, that is our goal. We want you to be happy with us. We want to please you. We want to obey you. We want to seek you first. Father, please strengthen us. Give us the strength to say no to our flesh. Give us the strength to mortify the sin. Father, remind us that we already have the strength to say no to temptation. Father, work in us that we seek you first and always. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?